So today uh, we get to the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk for you uh, cool kids out there. He was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Judah and Israel, it's split into to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Habakkuk comes along as a prophet to the southern kingdom shortly before the nation, the rest of the nation of Israel, uh, was carried off into exile in Babylon. Now, we talked about the Babylonian exile ad nauseum last summer, um, so hopefully we're all kind of oriented to that. But at this point in history, the northern kingdom of Israel has been taken over by Assyria. We talked about Assyria last week. And now the southern kingdom is what's left of God's people, centered around Jerusalem. And the Babylonians are essentially at the doorstep. They're threatening to take over. And by this point in history, many of the things that we've heard already, injustices, oppression, that were happening in the northern kingdom, that were some of the reasons why God brought his judgment against that nation and ended up wiping them from the map, uh, wasn't because he was abandoning them, but because he was refining them through the fire of these other nations. Um, many of those things that we saw happening in the northern kingdom of Israel are now also happening in the southern kingdom of Judah. Like Judah used to be like, hey, we're the good guys in the north. Like those are the idolaters up there. Like those are the bad people and we're the good folks. And now many of the things that were um, true of their northern brothers and sisters are now, have now become true of them. And Habakkuk is going to lament many of the things that he sees in his own nation. And this causes him to do something, and we're going to see what he does. So we're going to read a few different sections of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters long. It's a short book. We're not going to read the whole thing. But I am going to read uh, some sections from each chapter, and I'll let you know what those are when we get to them. So Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, God, will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, verse 2, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Your translations may say the righteous will live by faith. Uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, this is the last part of Habakkuk's prayer in response to God. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. There's so much good news in the book of Habakkuk that it's hard to narrow it down to just one or two things. And I just want to say this up front. Like if, if Habakkuk is your favorite Old Testament book, I am not going to do it justice today. So I just want to say that right out of the gate just to, to uh, you know, dash your hopes or to uh, mediate your expectations. But the good news is we're going to talk about lament, so you can tell God how upset you are about my butchering of the book later on. Um, I'm not going to do it justice, but one thing I notice is that much of Habakkuk's good news can also be found in other books that are focused particularly on the justice of God. And we've talked about many of those things already in the book of Micah and Nahum and Amos. But the thing that sets Habakkuk apart, the thing that makes this prophet unique, is that this prophetic book isn't an announcement from God to his people about what God thinks. It's a prayer of lament from a prophet to God himself. It's a prayer of lament from a prophet to God himself. Habakkuk isn't announcing something about what God wants the people to do, although God responds uh, to Habakkuk's prayer. It's a model of what it looks like to wrestle with God through doubts and discouragements. It's what it looks like to live by faith, in other words. Many of you know my, like my story of sort of coming to faith, but um, I, I came into a relationship with Jesus from a pretty dark place in my life, a place that was full of despair and doubts uh, in college. And when I encountered this Jesus who wanted a relationship with me, it turned my entire reality upside down. Suddenly there was a God who loved me and came to die to forgive me and to raise me to new life through his resurrection, a God who would never leave me nor forsake me and who was always present and at work in my life through this Holy Spirit that he had given as a deposit, guaranteeing that he would preserve me until the end. It's incredible good news. He wasn't distant, but near. He wasn't indifferent, but he cared uh, about me and about my life and about the, this world infinitely more than I could ask or imagine. It was wonderful to come into contact with this God and to experience him meeting me and transforming me over time. Many of you have had that same experience, amen? You could testify to the same things that I, as I could. And I was also uh, surrounded at that point by friends and church family who taught me how to walk with this God and modeled what he was like through um, important moments of like studying the Bible together and praying and sharing meals and sharing our faith together. And yet, somewhere along the way, I picked up some conceptions about what life looked like with this God. And I've, I've come to see that they're actually misconceptions more than they are uh, truths and realities to, that, are, that are telling me a true experience of what life with Jesus is like. 
Um, and they were, they were formed deeply in me. And I don't know the source of them. I don't know if it was you know, something that was taught to me or just something that I sort of intuited as I walked along with God in the life of the family of God. But there are these two misconceptions. That doubts are dangerous and that it's bad to be sad. Doubts are dangerous and it's bad to be sad. Two conceptions that I picked up along the way. And I, and I carried those forward. Like, I'm, you know, I don't get to, like, absolve myself of just saying, oh, it's the church's fault. Like, I am the church, right? <laughs> um, and a big part of it. Like, I, I, I have the opportunity to speak and to, to form you all in, in what God is like. And I think I've, I've, in some ways, carried forth those misconceptions over time. Doubts are dangerous, and it's bad to be sad. No one ever said those things out loud to me, though. They were never named as such. But it became clear to me over time that to be a Christian meant never to allow your doubts or your negativity to get the better of you. In other words, if I were to put it a different way, doubts and discouragements were things to be managed, controlled, placated, or hidden away. You do anything you can with them other than look at them honestly and speak about them truthfully. It's a little bit like, um, how many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? It's like one of my favorite Pixar movies. I love it. What's the problem of the, of the movie? What does it set up and do? It's, it's a picture inside this little girl Riley's head who's always known joy. And yet she goes through incredibly traumatic experiences one after another. These things that were um, pillars in her life are taken away one, one at a time. And she's devastated by these things. But all she's ever known to do is to push through them with joy. And the other emotions that are like in her head, like anger and sadness, that are actually appropriate to like take control of her life at that point, like joy's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Like, you don't come anywhere near this joystick, right? Let me set you up with menial tasks and I'll draw chalk lines around where you're, like, permitted to be. But you, can, you cannot have free reign. You have to be put into the back seat because joy is in control. And I think, I think most Christians walk through life with that same kind of mentality without knowing it. We think that joy has to be in the driver's seat all the time, or we're not being faithful. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to feeling the pressure to manage negative emotions through self-talk or willpower? To Bible-thump yourself into rejoicing? To telling yourself that everything will get better in the end, so just don't listen to those negative voices? The feeling, the temptation to project to others that you're doing better than you really are. These are coping mechanisms for doubt and despair, friends. And they don't do good work for you or me. We need better news. And uh, I think in light of Habakkuk's words today, we can proclaim some better news, and that is this, that in Jesus' name you are released you are released from the tyranny of needing to manage your doubts and discouragements. You need not escape or control how you feel because God is ready to meet you in your real life. 
Church, there is room in God's presence for all of your deepest doubts, discouragements, disappointments, questions, tears, and unpleasant emotions. Lament is not a detour to your life with God, but is the road back to joy in the Lord. Will you take the road less traveled? Uh, It's jarring, isn't it, to... um, here you have this prophet who is looking at the nation around him, and right out of the gate, he begins to let God have it. And he doesn't hold back. He, he's like, how long do we call for help? But you don't listen. Why don't you hear us? Why don't you save us? Why do you tolerate evil? We, we didn't include it, but um, there's a part, I think it's in verse 17 of chapter 1, where he says, I thought you were like everlasting God. I mean, he's throwing God's character back in his face and going, like, aren't you sovereign? He's questioning him and literally insulting God to his face. This makes us really uncomfortable, doesn't it? To see a prophet who does not hold back how he feels with God, who doesn't placate or bypass how the injustices of his day have a devastating effect on him and on other people. He tells the truth about it to God. And I I think the reason why we find some of this so um, disquieting is because we think that this kind of honesty is a contradiction to faith. I think this this is a contradiction to what a life of faith looks like. And Habakkuk says that what separates the righteous from the unrighteous is that the righteous will live by faith, right? But again, there's, a, there's this misconception that somehow faith and doubt cannot coexist together. That they are opposites of one another. And that to, to allow doubt and discouragement in the door is to let faith slip out the back. But that picture is inconsistent with the picture of what we see in the life of this prophet. And and not just Habakkuk. Like, have you ever read the Psalms? Do you know that a third of them are lamentations? That are like, what the heck, God? If I could sum up one third of the book of Psalms, it's, Lord, what the heck? We see this all over the place. We see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus who who goes through the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus who weeps at the tomb side of his friend. Jesus who goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and sweats drops of blood. Jesus who cries out to God on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Like He doesn't shy away from this stuff. So why do we? Why do we? See, on the one hand, in Habakkuk, we see deep doubts and discouragements. And yet, on the other hand, we see someone who's in right relationship to God. Someone who's facing those doubts and discouragements with the presence of God. Friends, I don't know what you've been told about faith, but faith is... is, does not equal absolute intellectual certitude. Faith is not having the right answers to the theology exam. 
Faith is not pretending that everything is better than it really is. Faith is not willing yourself to feel a certain way. Faith is not maintaining control over your doubts and despairs. It's just not. Not if Habakkuk is a true guide in any sense. Faith, especially in challenging times, is doing what we see Habakkuk doing, which is lamenting. Lamenting. Telling the truth about what you see and what you feel to God. It's bringing the internal and the external realities that don't make sense to you, that don't add up to you. It's naming these things, not to get a quick fix so that you can get back to the happy, clappy Christian life, but so that you can encounter the presence of God in the midst of your real life. Because that's the only life you have, friends. It's the only life you got. And, and I just I feel like I need to say this. The church has not known what to do with people who are stuck in their doubts and despairs. And that includes me. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody but myself. We, we tell people to get over it with Jesus or we avoid the reality of where people are and we sort of spiritually bypass their actual reality, but we just don't know what to do with sadness and with questions. But friends, God does. He does. God doesn't scold or hide from Habakkuk. He receives him in Habakkuk's contempt. He meets him in the midst of his doubts and despairs. And don't miss this. God includes Habakkuk's questions in his word for others to see that it's okay to bring these things to him too. Like, if questioning God isn't okay, then why in the world do we have this record of a man's questions millennia later? One of the axioms, one of the truths that's been um, so radically reshaping for me uh, in the last couple years is that God is so real that he wants to meet you in the reality of your lived experience. I think um, oftentimes the Christianity that we proclaim sells God as though he can be used as an escape from our actual reality. Like if I just believe strong enough and if I just think about heaven long enough that all the other stuff will just fade into the background. And I'll just move through this life like on the wings of eagles, you know? But that's not the way that God works. It's not the way that he works in the life of Habakkuk, and it's not the way that he works in our lives either. God doesn't present himself as an escape from reality. He, he, he pre presents himself as a wrestling partner through reality. He says, you want to contend with somebody about these things? You want somebody to go to? You want somebody to lament these things? You want to, you want to wrestle through this stuff? Are you, are you ready to present to me your actual real life and all of its challenges? Fantastic. That is where I'm waiting to work with you. That's where I'm waiting to meet you. That's where I do my best work. Sometimes the most faithful thing that you can do is present God with the brokenness of your faith. Friends, we, we proclaim the good news that in Jesus' name, we are released from the tyranny of needing to manage our doubts and despairs. 
We need not escape or control how we feel because God is ready to meet you in your real life. Church, there's room in God's presence for all your deepest doubts, discouragements, questions, tears, unpleasant emotions. Lament is not a detour to your life with God. It is the road back to the joy of the Lord. Will you take it? Will you take that road? I I think one of the the fears that I've heard expressed when it comes to the idea of lament is that um, it's a slippery slope. You know, it's a... Like, if you, if you open that door a crack, then, like, forget about it, you know? It's either going to lead you down the road of depression or it's going to lead you down the road of destroying your faith altogether. Like, it's dangerous. Like, there's dragons there. Don't, don't even go, you know? That, that somehow we don't curb our questions that will end up throwing out our relationship with God altogether. And that if we give ourselves over to real lament, that it'll open this kind of Pandora's box of sadness or questioning, and we'll never be able to contain it again. Let me just ask, though, is that what we see in Habakkuk? Is that what we see in his life? Like, from what you know of him, even just by reading through, what, like, three paragraphs, that's not his experience. That's not his experience. In fact, it says like right in the middle in, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what the Lord will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk doesn't just start with lament and then get over himself. He plants himself like a watchman on the wall of a city looking for an answer, watching the horizon for whatever is going to come next. It's, it's basically Habakkuk's way of saying, I'm not leaving these complaints until you meet me in them, Lord. I'm not going to tell myself it'll be all right when it won't. I'm, 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 I'm not leaving this place. I'm planting myself here. And Habakkuk is righteous to do so. We, we often think of this term righteous as if it means some kind of moral perfection. There's, there goes a righteous guy. What do we mean by that? Like he's a good man, right? Or he, he's, he's done a lot for the community. Or, or he, he lives according to God's law or his own code or whatever. Like even inside the church, we think of righteousness as being some kind of moral perfection. That's not the way that the Bible talks about righteousness. Righteousness is a relational term. It means to relate rightly to someone else. It's it's to come into contact with God in the channels by which He wishes us to come. It means means for Habakkuk that he's committed to being in a a right relationship with God, to, to interacting with God through his questions, not abandoning God in those questions or placating those questions and pretending that God is someone he's not. This is the problem with not facing our doubts and discouragements. As you disconnect from your own doubts, if you're unwilling to wade into them with the presence of God, then what happens is you end up disconnecting from God himself. 
we're so afraid that we might become atheists if we look at our questions that we don't realize that in not looking at them, we live atheistically. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that crazy? I don't want to look at these things because I'm afraid that if I do, I won't find God big enough to handle them. So I just won't look at them and I will live as though God is not real. Friends, any distance that we create from ourselves and where we really are is distance that we create between ourselves and God too because God is at work in us. I I use this uh, quote from Augustine um, back in the spring when we were talking about the practice of silence. When Augustine comes to this realization of, Lord, you were in me the whole time, but I was not in myself. Like, you were with me, but I wasn't. I was outside of myself because I was too afraid to look at myself. And because I was too afraid to look at myself, I missed you in the process because that's where you were at work. The problem I'm discovering, I think, is that, and this is the reason why we talked about self-awareness several times throughout this series, is because most of us, I think, live disintegrated lives. We haven't identified where we actually are. I was hanging out with Matthew last night, and he asked me how I was, and I was like, I don't even know how to answer that question because I don't know where I am, (laughs) you know? And I've learned to at least become honest about not knowing where I am. (laughs) Like, I feel like that's a step in the direction, even if I can't put my finger on where I am. At least I know I don't know where I am. The first step to becoming found is to know you're lost, right? (laughs) And I I think that's part of what God is trying to reveal um, in the life of this prophet. We don't know how we're really doing because we're told, we're told somehow, either we've we've told this narrative to ourselves or we've received it from another source that it's not safe to look at how we're really doing. And so we become fragmented and disconnected from ourselves. And as a result, we're disconnected from the God who's always present and at work in us. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way because in Jesus' name, you are released from the tyranny of needing to manage your doubts and despairs. You need not escape or control how you feel because God is ready to meet you where you really are. There's room, church, in God's presence for all of your deepest doubts and disappointments, questions and unpleasant emotions. Lament is not a detour to your life with God. It's the road back to the joy of the Lord. Will you take it? You already know the answer to this question, but how do we get put back together again? We get put back together. We get reintegrated, Habakkuk tells us, as we lament. As we lament. Lament is telling the truth. Lament is asking the right questions. Lament is telling God how you perceive the truth of who he is back to him and saying, I thought you were. And lament reintegrates our fragmented, disintegrated lives. It puts us back together in God's presence. And we see this by the end of chapter 3, Uh, even though Habakkuk's circumstances have not improved one bit. I mean, 
look at his little uh, poem at the end. Like, there's no vegetation, there are no animals to work the field, the land is barren. Like, things are bleak in, in, as he looks around. And yet Habakkuk has been transformed into someone who can face those realities and to do so with joy and with hope. He, he, he says, I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He's not saying these things because he's supposed to. He's not saying these things because he's a good Jew. He's saying these things because he's come to believe them. This isn't just positive self-talk. There has been a gravitational shift in Habakkuk's belief system that is in some part due to his ability to contend with God through the things that make him doubt and despair. This isn't a man who's gotten over his grief, but it's a man who's encountered God in the midst of his grief and found this God to be good and found himself to be seen and known and loved. And the way that we discover this same God is through lament. Lament is like a, a crucible inside which we're formed and shaped. It, it's, it's how we're put back together. It's not a detour to our life with God. It wasn't a detour to Joseph's life, right? I mean, our kids have been talking about that for the last month. The pain that Joseph experienced was not ancillary to his walk with God. It wasn't a detour to who God was making him to be. It was crucial to his formation. He would not be the kind of person he needed to be at the end to save so many lives if he had not gone through the pit and the prison. Yes? Lament gives us new sight. It increases our capacity for God's presence and what he wants to say and how he wants to shape and what he wants to do. It, it turns us into the kind of people through whom and to whom God can speak. And so I want to encourage you, would you wade into this space with God? I'm not saying that sadness is the new glad. <laughs> it's, it's not like, oh, this is the better alternative to being happy. I'm just saying that if you're there, it's okay and God wants to meet you there. And see how he meets you there. Give him the space to do that because, friends, you don't have anything to lose. You don't have anything to lose. In fact, you have everything to gain. The righteous, the person who's pursuing a right relationship with God, lives by faith. And faith practices lament. There have been a lot of things that we can lament, right? All of us, we can pinpoint something that has happened in the landscape of this world or in our lives. I mean, just, you know, think about the last couple weeks even. Like, I think about the fact that, like, so many of us are sitting here vaccinated without masks. And there are people that are dying by the thousands or hundreds of thousands in other countries. I think about the fact that, what, a hundred and... 47 people likely were killed in their own homes because the foundations couldn't hold. I, I think about the fact that the president of a nation that we love dearly 
and can name names and see faces of, was murdered in his own home. And his assassination is throwing the nation into chaos. And I'm sick about it. Like, oh, it grieves me. What do we do? What do we do with this pain? We tell the truth about it. We lament it in God's presence with one another. Friends, that is a holy act of God's people to do so. This is a a practice, I have to say, that I, you know, I've been a believer for about 20 years now. Yeah, 20 years in March. And I think for 18 and a half of those years, lament was a foreign concept to me. Uh, This past year, in light of everything that's going on, like one of the practices that's been most stabilizing for me is that I go out into the woods regularly and I yell at God. (laughs) Essentially, I go out and I go, God, what the heck? What the heck about this? And what about that? And what about this? And I'm feeling this way and this doesn't make sense to me and I can't resolve this. And, And where are you? If I could just be completely honest with you and lay all my cards on the table, I don't know if I would be standing in front of you this morning if I hadn't discovered this process. I don't know where I would be emotionally, spiritually, like in my walk with Jesus if I didn't learn the gift of lament this year. I just don't know. It's not to say I wouldn't be here. I just don't know. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you feel like a certain guilt to be a certain kind of Christian. And I just want to, in Jesus' name, release you from that pressure. You're released from the tyranny of needing to manage your doubts and despairs. You need not escape or control how you feel because God's ready to meet you in your real life. There's room in his presence for everything that you want to bring to the table. And lament is not a detour to your life with God. It's the road back to the joy of the Lord. So what do you say we take that road? There's nothing like doing it together, especially when you're unsure of what it feels like or sounds like. And I'm no expert in this. I'll just say that up front. But maybe maybe we could kind of end our time by actually lamenting together. Would that be okay? And we, the great news is we can use Habakkuk's language. Like, he already gives us a pattern for how to do this. So we're going to pray, and I want to start by saying, How long, O Lord? And then I'm going to end each one of these by saying, In your mercy, hear our prayer. Okay? You don't have to repeat, like, every line or anything. You don't have to repeat any of it if you want. But maybe kind of, like, under your breath, or if you want to say it out loud, that's fine. Maybe just those two pieces, like how long, Lord, and in your mercy, hear our prayer. Okay? Let's, let's pray. How long, Lord, how long will COVID continue to ravage the world? How long will rich nations enjoy a return to normalcy while the poor struggle to find vaccines to keep people from dying? In your mercy, hear our prayers. How long, Lord, will people in Haiti continue to suffer under power-hungry men and opportunistic foreign interests 
and gang warfare. In your mercy, hear our prayer. How long, Lord, will buildings continue to collapse on people? And when will people's homes not become their tombs? In your mercy, hear our prayer. How long, O Lord, will our nation tolerate again and again gun violence and stand by idly while the news of one mass shooting is interrupted by the news of another mass shooting? In your mercy, hear our prayer. How long will sexual abuse scandals continue to plague your church? And when will leaders stop protecting their power and start advocating for the victims and the abused? In your mercy, hear our prayer. I just want to give you space now to lament the things that God might bring to your own mind. How long, Lord? In your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord Jesus, living God, you are the answer to our deepest questions. You are the stability of all of our uncertainty. You are the provision for all of our needs. You meet us in our despair. You heal us of our brokenness. You anoint us with your presence as we surrender it to you. God, we thank you and we remember that there is nothing that can separate us from God. And so we present these things before you without answers, without guarantees. And we ask, God, that you would lead us in the path back to joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.